0: Good day. Welcome to Rand Europe's Expert Insights podcast, in which we discuss our latest research and look more in depth at some of the pressing policy issues of the day. I'm Kat MacShane from Rand Europe, and in this session, we're talking about a recent study called European Strategic Autonomy in Defence, and it seeks to explore the fundamental question of what does European strategic autonomy in defense mean for the EU, NATO, and EU and US relations. So the study was delivered jointly by RAND Europe and RAND Corporation researchers in the United States, and it was explicitly designed to capture transatlantic perspectives on the issues surrounding European strategic autonomy. So discussing the report today are three of its authors, Lucia Retta, Stephanie Pizard, and Steve Flanagan. Welcome to you all. If I can put this to you first, Lucia, can you start by providing some background on the study and why the topic is so important and sort of what is European strategic autonomy and defense and what that means? And perhaps, Stephanie, you can follow up by explaining a bit why combining the European and American perspectives in one study was such a core part of the work.
1: Sure. Thanks, Kat. So we've seen in the sort of last five or six years uh, a real increase in public discussion uh, in both European and also international policy circles on what European strategic autonomy means. The term itself has gone through a lot of expansion beyond just the sort of traditional defence and security matters to include a broader set of issues, for example, the economy, health, technology, supply chains, and, and so on. However, the, the core foundations of the term strategic autonomy And the ones we focus on in our study are very much firmly rooted in defense. European institutions, as well as many EU member states themselves, recognize that Europe needs to weigh in more to contribute to NATO and also to tackle global security and defense risks and challenges. And this has been very much a focus of uh, successive US administrations as well, who have reminded Europe that they do need to weigh in more in terms of tackling global security and defense challenges and also domestic defense challenges as well. As we're seeing the global security environment worsening and also different countries and groups looking to articulate their own visions of strategic ambitions, we are also seeing calls for achieving greater European strategic
2: autonomy, both in EU policy circles and beyond. And and against this really dynamic background that Lucia just described, our end team saw that there was really little analysis that had been done on the implications of European strategic autonomy for the EU, uh, NATO and US relations. And hardly anything had been done from a transatlantic perspective that tried to account for the diversity of views in Europe and uh, in the U.S. about this this specific topic. So we built our entire research in a way that would allow us to capture views from both sides of the Atlantic. To do that, uh, we've been using a a structured methodology um, that designed three possible future visions of what European strategic autonomy might look like. And to do that, we drew on consultations with European and U.S. experts. And we then used the three scenarios in interviews with senior government and policy officials in the U.S. and in the EU uh, in order to try to capture their perspectives on what these different scenarios might mean, uh, not just for the relationship between the EU and NATO, but also between the EU and the U.S. So um, between January and March this year, we consulted 27 senior experts from across, um, so among among different places, U.S. government departments, the European Commission, um, the European Defense Agency, the European External Action Service, and and NATO. And we tried in our U.S.-European research team to embody this diversity with that sort of uh, dual U.S.-European perspective that enabled us uh, all to look at the the questions surrounding European strategic autonomy in what we hope is a, a more holistic way taking into account not just the strategic and military aspects of European strategic autonomy, but but also the political factors that really shape its development.
0: Thank you, Stephanie. What can you guys tell me about sort of the main findings in the report? Um, Lucia, perhaps we can start with you again.
1: Sure, very happy to. Um, I guess the first thing to highlight is that our study and our work really confirms that there is insufficient clarity linked to the term European strategic autonomy something that's been noted by a number of officials and analysts on both sides of the Atlantic and a number of the interviewees we spoke with as part of the study and while we have seen quite a lot of constructive work being done by academics analysts and the EU itself to better articulate what European strategic autonomy is and what it's what it is not it still is and remains a term that brings in confusion and and somewhat um, contentious views on on both sides of the Atlantic overall we found that our European interviewees were positive in relation to the underpinning building blocks of European strategic autonomy in defense, uh, particularly things like um, the importance of aggregate military strength of, uh, of the different uh, EU member states, also national and EU defense spending, the importance of interoperability, commonalities in strategic culture and so on. And they recognize that there are merits to having a stronger and more capable Europe, We found that several of our U.S. interviewees were particularly concerned that European defense integration efforts have often been distracted by focusing on building up structures or initiatives and programs rather than taking responsibility for addressing specific challenges in security and defense. And perhaps they see that the weight of strategic autonomy initiatives should really come together with a committed
2: resources, and also action allocated to these structures, initiatives, and programs. And another important finding that we we came up with is um, most of our interviewees really identified a stronger Europe as a benefit to both NATO and the US. Um, and almost regardless of the ways in which defense integration took place, so it could be through EU-level structures and tools, um, such as a European Defense Fund or through PESCO or through bilateral or multilateral programs such as NORDEFCO or any combination of the above, um, most, most of our interviewees really share the view that a more capable Europe is good for NATO and good for the transatlantic partnership. On the flip side, and uh, consistently, they also found that a less engaged and less capable and less coherent uh, European pillar of NATO is unlikely to be uh, capable of uh, meaningful burden sharing. And from a U.S. national perspective, it's it's also harder to justify investment in European defense matters, if you have to explain that to the U.S. public, if European nations choose not to invest themselves in strengthening their contribution to NATO. Uh, One additional finding related to uh, the previous one is that Again, our interviews really showed that what really matters is the complementarity between European security and NATO, that the way it was articulated in the Joint Declaration of 2016 and 2018, even though um, there is also a recognition that achieving this complementarity in practice has proved difficult so far. Uh, but there was really no appetite among either US or European interviewees for an outcome of a Europe that uh, goes its own way. Uh, which was one of the three scenarios we looked at. Both uh, a strong um, a strong EU defense and a strong NATO are seen as as needed, and uh, in an ideal vision of European future would be would be complementary. And the fact remains that the US via NATO remains really critical for the provision of European defense and security due to its commitment um, to uh, territorial defense, provision of nuclear deterrence, command and control structure. And as, as we've seen in previous operations, uh, many, many of, of NATO's innovating assets and
3: capabilities. Well, and finally, our study confirms that European defence integration and the realisation of strategic autonomy in defence is not only shaped by the internal efforts of the European Union, but very much influenced by the policy stance of the United States and a number of other key influences from outside the European Union. Well, there's been a sense of relief uh, within the EU following the election of President Biden and his expressed desire to reestablish close cooperation with European allies and partners. There's also a strong sense, especially among our European interviewees, that the EU needs to hedge against a potential second Trump or Trump-like administration uh, in the near future. As for other NATO players, most notably Turkey and the UK, they will also continue to have a significant influence on the shape of European strategic autonomy and especially the practical ability of the EU to complement NATO. These are in addition to the challengers external to NATO, notably Russia and China, whose policies and actions, not only in defense and security, but also in trade, energy and many other activities, will inevitably shape the relationship between the trio of actors here, the EU, the US and NATO, as well as strategic autonomy.
0: Thanks for highlighting the breadth of different findings that was involved in that study. I'm aware that this was an internally funded RAND research project. So I wondered what kind of recommendations or suggestions you might have developed to address some of the uh, the challenges identified.
3: Yes, Kat, indeed. We, uh, We did identify a few policy options for the EU, NATO, and the United States that could help maximize the benefits and mitigate some of the challenges associated with potential realization of European strategic autonomy. So first we highlight the need for continuing dialogue at all levels among EU and US partners to help avoid potential misperceptions and tackle common challenges. Now such dialogue uh, should take place on both the strategic and the working levels between US and EU, as well as between US representatives and the various regional defense groupings. With the new U.S. administration in place, there is a perceived openness to greater engagement on both sides of the Atlantic, as well as a growing recognition that the issues of cooperation are extending beyond the traditional realm of defense and security to include a much wider set of systematic challenges, such as climate change, trade relationship, technology, health, etc. And most notably, of course, the challenges posed by China and Russia. Now, for discussions like these, NATO is unlikely to be the most fitting vehicle for these other uh, matters, And should be supplemented with bilateral and multilateral engagement between the United States and EU member states. Secondly, our study argues that the U.S. should adopt an unambiguously supportive approach towards European strategic autonomy, as these efforts do on balance, we believe, encourage European burden sharing within NATO. More concerted U.S.-EU efforts in the direction that could help calm some of the concerns articulated by EU member states that European strategic autonomy efforts might represent a direct decoupling of efforts from the United States. Of course, there will remain many contentious issues to be resolved, one of which is the question of access to defense equipment markets. In this realm, both the EU and the United States have put in place restrictions on third-party access to defense procurement programs, defense research and development funding, and other capability development programs, as well as a range of export controls. And here, we think that uh, eliminating or reducing some of these uh, laws and regulations constraining two-way defense and trade technology sharing would be an important step towards uh, deepening the transatlantic cooperation.
2: Stephanie, would you like to weigh in here? Echoing what Steve just described on concerting U- US
3: EU efforts,
2: uh, we also do reiterate the need to foster a constructive NATO EU relationship. And that, that would be a relationship that relies on a clear articulation of EU ambition, and an agreement also on threats and areas of responsibility. And, and principally in our report, we emphasize the need for NATO and the EU to settle on uh, both a set of tasks and mission that Europe needs to be able to handle on its own, and also tasks for which uh, a strong European contribution to NATO is essential. And that that would all constitute a, a first step in clearly delineating the responsibilities of NATO and, and of the EU. Um, and in addition to that, um, we, we think that the EU and, and NATO need to share a basic common understanding of global strategic threats. So the commitments that will be articulated in the strategic compass and in NATO's strategic concept need to be aligned. Um, they also need to be mutually reinforcing and, and they need to be complementary. And we, we understand that this is already the stated ambition behind these efforts. Um, but we we do underline that at the practical day to day working level. Uh, this is where it gets it gets more challenging, and and where the complementarity and coherence between these initiatives needs to be effectively established.
1: And finally, just to complement what Stephanie and Steve have said, our study also argues that. For the long-term benefit of European defence and also for the long-term benefit of good transatlantic relations, it's important to overcome some of the tensions and some of the scepticism that has appeared uh, following Brexit um, and and focus on restoring a constructive relationship between the EU and the UK in defence matters. We believe it's important to recognise that any exclusion of the UK from European defence more broadly is likely to be both unrealistic but also counterproductive given that the UK defence industrial base is actually very deeply integrated within the wider European defence industrial base. um, And there are many multinational primes that operate in the UK, as well as many uh, other um, EU countries. And the UK is already very deeply involved in some multinational collaborative programmes. For example, we know complex weapons um, collaboration with France or the combat air programme together with Sweden and Italy. And crucially, The UK's military capabilities are critical for delivery of NATO operations in the European theatre. We note, obviously, the nuclear deterrent and also other power projection capabilities. From the UK perspective, the UK also firmly remains committed to European defence under the umbrella of NATO as a matter of strategic priority. And this has been quite clearly articulated in the UK's recent integrated review of security, defence development and foreign policy that came out in March earlier this year.
0: Thank you all for that. That's been really interesting. And there's quite a lot to unpack here. But I need to ask just sort of a quick question to close our discussion today. So what's happening in this research area now?
1: Good question, Kat. I mean, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is an area of very lively discussion and debate, both in Europe and also in American policy circles, and one that we see as having a significant momentum we are now quite eagerly anticipating what the outcomes will be of the ongoing drafting of the EU's strategic compass that's due to come out next year. And in a similar time frame, the revisions to NATO's own strategic concept. And these are both very fundamental documents that will hopefully articulate um, the EU's and also NATO's core understanding of what their roles and responsibilities are and also how they intend to address global security challenges. We're likely going to see continued bustling discussion on what European strategic autonomy means, both in defence and beyond, Um, and of course, how it can be meaningfully put in practice, uh, particularly as it starts to span a very wide range of factors and areas. And we very much, as RAND, want to be engaged in this discussion, informing this discussion, and also drawing on research in this study as well as our wider research on transatlantic defence and security issues uh, to contribute to this discussion in a meaningful way.
0: Thank you all. Thank you, Stephanie, Lucia and uh, Stephen for speaking to us today on today's expert insights with RAND Europe. The study discussed today was European strategic autonomy and defence, transatlantic visions and implications for NATO, US and EU relations. The study was funded internally by RAND through the independent research and development provisions of RAND's contracts for the operation of its U.S. Department of Defense federally funded research and development centers. So if you're interested in finding out more about this research, please visit our website at randeurope.org. RAND Europe is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization that helps to improve policy and decision making through research and analysis.